1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of this, the Roto-World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, and the fantasy football season is over. Yes, it is. Week 17 is just around the corner, but that means Week 16 is complete. Hopefully, you won your fantasy football championships, and I am so glad and thankful that you stuck with us all season long. This is our final Monday morning recap episode of the season. And again, just want to take a moment to say thank you for listening all year long to all these podcasts. Before we move on, I do want to tell you that we're just going to have two podcasts this week. This one, and then a preview episode later on in the week when we have about six or seven games that we'll look into. But if you did enjoy the podcast this entire season, just consider leaving us a rating and review. It helps us out on iTunes specifically. Five stars, Little something written just helps more people find out about the show and tell one friend. Also, wanted to thank Daigle, Hayden, Nick, Ian, Anthony, Pat, and Jesse for taking time out of their Sunday nights and evenings for these recordings all season long. All right, let's get into it. The Houston Texans lock up the AFC South with a victory on the road against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which brings the Texans to 10 and 5. The score was 23 to 20. And John Daigle had this early Saturday game for us. Daigle, I understand that the Texans won, but Deshaun Watson and company could do absolutely nothing against this Buccaneers defense that has improved. And a major part of that is probably in something that we've seen for months and weeks and time after time, that when Will Fuller left with a groin injury, this Texans offense just collapsed.
4: Yeah, if you told me previously that the Texans beat the Bucs, I I would imagine that Okay, their defense, their their offense looked explosive. Attacked a weak Bucks secondary, and it was the Bucks offense as a whole that looked worse. But it was the complete opposite. Yeah. Uh, I would say the Bucks offense, for better or worse, was must see TV, and that's not all positive, but it is must see television. While Houston's offense legitimately became. One of the worst in the entire league. The moment Will Fuller exited in the fourth in the first quarter with another soft tissue injury, completely indifferent, by the way, from his hamstring. It's now a groin injury. Uh, could not get anything happening. And mid-game, Deshaun Watson sustains an ankle injury. Kenny Still sustains a hamstring injury. So they have the AFC South clinched now. And I would assume they're going to rest people for week 17 to get healthy for the wild card round. But it was not pretty by any stretch of the imagination. The only offensive touchdowns being, or touchdown, I should say, being Carlos Hyde's one yard run once Darren Fells was stuffed at the goal line following a 17 yard gain.
1: This is super concerning. Because Deshaun Watson did not play well. I understood I understand he was nope. injured. I understand that Will Fuller missed, you know, three quarters of this game, but he was missing throws. Um, his accuracy just wasn't there. He was dropping his eyes, and you know, a lot of time he had time in the pocket, but you know, this Bucks team is just very really good at stuffing the run. We know that. I mean, Deshaun Watson was the leading rusher with thirty-seven yards. After that was Carlos Hyde, who also scored a touchdown with just twenty-seven yards. I it's concerning. And you and I watched the first half together with this game and I looked over And I said, like, this is a weird season from DeAndre Hopkins, right? Like, the big plays just aren't there week after week, and he's the safety net play right now. And so if you're relying on Kenny Stills to get vertical, if you're relying on um, Will Fuller to get vertical, I I just don't know how much confidence I have in this team right now heading into the playoffs, especially the Bill O'Brien at the helm, because there was an opportunity to put this game away in the fourth quarter with, like, a minute or so left. And instead of going for it in a fourth and one scenario, he decides to punt the ball and give the Bucks a chance to win this game.
4: Yeah, too many times. This is what we've been arguing about the Texans as a whole all season. It's talent and Deshaun Watson's talent. Just they can't buck bad coaching. And like this is a poorly run organization. It's a poorly coached team. Uh, they don't really know what they're doing. They don't have playmakers once. Like DeAndre Hopkins is out there. But the way this offense works is that the moment Will Fuller leaves, it's DeAndre Hawkins just getting catches uh, within ten yards of the line of scrimmage. Like it's nothing special, and it can honestly easily easily be stopped. I would say Watson's highlights this year have all been off script, which means that that's the one time Bill O'Brien isn't helping coach and telling Watson what to do. So, uh, it's just not a team in the, a- the AFC should be scared of at all. And uh, quite frankly, we're probably looking at another wild card Saturday 1 p.m. game that they're just one and done.
1: We have to talk about the Buccaneers because this truly was the story of the game. And one, their defense played well enough to win this game. Their offense, in many ways, threw it away, fumbled it away. But the defense keeping the Texans to 23 points and really. Just 16 points because we know Jameis Winston, the first play of the game, threw a pick six. It's awful. I want to go through the drive-by-drive endings here for the Bucs, okay? Interception, mm-hmm. touchdown, interception, block field goal, field goal, interception, fumble, punt, touchdown, touchdown. End of the first half. This was an awful game by Jameis Winston. It was the most typical Jameis Winston game we've ever seen. 25 of 48, 335, one touchdown four interceptions we had concern about Jameis because he was without Chris Godwin and Mike Evans I'm assuming that that played a factor here
4: whether you are an optimist or pessimist for Jameis Winston uh, you saw it all you're just sitting here arguing back and forth with everyone because it truly ran the gamut of his reactions and his tendencies not only do you have two interceptions including a pick six on Tampa Bay's very first two possessions to open the game but he also missed at least two wide open touchdowns, one to Perryman, one to Justin Watson. Uh, He had some beautiful downfield throws on back shoulder fades that he did land successfully, but also uh, experienced drops from his receivers, including a big one to OJ Howard, and also had two interceptions dropped by the defense. So it easily could have also been six interceptions rather than just four. And funny enough, At the end of the day, if you want to continue talking about like the whole Jameis Winston experience, you bring it full circle. And with this performance, he moved to number 19 all time ahead of Tony Romo for passing yards in a single season with 49.08. He only needs 327 more to pass Tom Brady for number three all time number three in single season passing yards hmm. on this wacky, wacky season, which is his contract year.
1: Yeah, and I believe Rap Sheet on Saturday morning reported that the Bucks are expected to keep Jameis Winston for the 2020 season on some type of tag, whether it be the franchise tag or transition tag. One of the two. Do you want to mention Ronald Jones, 14 carries, 77 yards, and a touchdown, had a long run of 49 yards, which is the long of his career. Um, we should close with Prashad Perryman and Justin Watson because a lot of people played them. In their fantasy championships, Perryman finished with 12 targets, seven receptions, 102 yards. He'll get a nice free agent deal this offseason after signing just a one-year deal with the Bucs. And then Justin Watson steps in for 10 targets, five receptions, 43 yards, and a score.
4: Both look very good. Both ran themselves open. And honestly, with a more accurate quarterback, could have had even better days. Um, you said it. Like, we've talked about it in the past. Rashad Perryman. Uh, demands his release once the Browns trade for Odell Beckham because he had success with them with their final month of the season last year wanted to return did return and then demanding his release and now he's uh, making a case to make I don't know 10 million something like that over a couple of years uh, only 26 and then of course Justin Watson who uh, I would imagine this is his breakout and in week 17 they're going to use him heavily and for whatever reason if you're in a league that plays into week 17 as well. Just note that Peyton Barber was benched following a fumble in the first quarter. So that's the reason Ronald Jones was used ahead of him. I still think it's impossible to predict moving forward. The Atlanta
1: Falcons continue to try to save Dan Quinn's job and beat the Jacksonville Jaguars at home 24 to 12. In this one, Patrick Dougherty has assigned this game to himself, Patrick. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at this stat sheet and the only thing that really stands out, Matt Ryan, 384 yards. He did throw two interceptions. But 166 of those yards went to Julio Jones. I mean, this guy just continues to dominate, and it's year after year, season after season.
5: Yeah, and th- this is something I just feel like, in a historical perspective, people do not appreciate how good Julio Jones is. I, I you know, I always bring up a tweet. Last week, I tweeted that I think Julio Jones is going to be one of the most underrated NFL players in history because. To me, he's not just like a Hall of Famer. Like, he is one of the greatest players to ever play NFL football. And with 166 yards today, he's now at 1,316 on the season, which brings him 84 shy of 1,400 yards. Uh, he's already, uh, he has five straight 1,400 yard seasons. That's already the record. If he gets to 1,400 in, in week 17, he'll tie Jerry Rice for the most 1,400 yard seasons total. And NFL history like that's just a level of elite consistent receiver production we've never seen and you know, he's not going to end up on the career leader board probably with like Jerry Rice or maybe even some of the other compilers but he's just a special player and you know he's really appreciated a lot of corners of the football world but I just feel like he's still somehow an underappreciated player and someone you know I really hope That we still kind of, you know, take in his greatness over these next four or five, hopefully remaining years of his career.
1: Pat, if only there was like a exercise that was happening right now that identified, you know, like the top 100 players (laughs) of the last 100 years of football and even had like 20 (laughs) finalists for each position. Maybe, maybe in that exercise, Julio Jones could get mentioned at the wide receiver group.
5: Maybe. Well Well, everyone knows he's not as good as Curly McPherson, who had 762 yards for the Chicago Ducks in 1946. You know, the most receiving yards the entire decade. So he he can't compete on that level. But you know, Julio Jones to me is still you know at least one of the best players the past ten years, Josh.
1: Yeah, if only we could use logic and common sense to realize that you know if the list was about. Football players being good at playing football, then maybe someone like Julio Jones would belong at least on a finalist at his position. Yes,
5: yeah, so at least a, you would just like to see him as at least a finalist. Who, who would have and thought you know, the foot the football list? It's hard to compare eras. We can't just throw like pre merger in the trash. Obviously, Those yeah, because it was be honored. <laughs> Those people need to be honored. They deserve to be honored. But the list is is, is so tilted so heavily in that direction that you know, usually these lists that one, one of the other happens, they, they tilted two in favor of the past or two in favor of the modern era. And it was certainly uh, not the latter in this instance.
1: I do want to bring up Devonte Freeman because the Falcons did take a 14, nothing lead. And the first two touchdowns were Freeman 53 yards on the ground with a the score. then also caught 74 yards in the air with a score. Anything early that we saw that was nice to see of a player who let us down a lot, quite often this year but Devontae Freeman might be closing the season hot
5: yeah he was flow charting against a horrible horrible run defense and so it was probably his best overall game of the season but uh if you want to look for a negative he actually got outrushed by Brian Hill who only had seven carries uh he had seven carries for 66 yards Devontae I believe was 13 for 53 and you notice the player who Took a lot, you know, taking a lot of hits in his career, had a period where he was suffering a lot of lower leg injuries, and just seemed like it's really sapped his explosion. You know, I think he's only 27, but just seemed like someone whose early career mileage caught up with him, you know, really quickly. We've seen kind of more running backs than usual, beating the aging curve of late, but it doesn't really look like, unfortunately, Devontae Freeman's going to be one of them.
1: On the Jaguar side, we know this week they let go of Tom Coughlin after... A number of things popped up, including <laughs> like the NFLPA basically telling the players to consider their fine usage, their listen. Distribution you might think it's them.
5: outrageous, but if you don't turn off the lights when you leave the meeting room, that's a ten thousand dollar fine. <laughs> I don't care what you say. That's a $10,000 fine.
1: Well, in this game, they obviously did lose, but like Pat, at points, it got pretty close towards the end there, right? And Gardner Minshew's stat line is atrocious. It's 13 of 31, <laughs> 181 yards and a score. Leonard Fournette uh, did average 4.7 yards a carry on 15 carries, 71 yards. What, what can you take from this Jaguars team for this week and maybe spin it forward in 2020?
5: mean, they looked really packed in, in like the first quarter, most of the first half, but so Gardner Minshew, said had 181 yards today. That's actually what he has averaged over three games in place of Nick Foles. You know, just he's a backup level talent. Um, but you know, he he did do. He's backups. You know, need to have some spunk. They need to have some moxie, and he's never going to be an NFL starter, in my opinion. Hmm. But he can. He's kind of Foles in, kind of Fitzpatrick Fitzpatrick in where he can kind of, he'll occasionally, he'll go through these really long dry spells, but he'll create some instant offense occasionally. He did that with Chris Conley today. They called a double move for Chris Conley, and he found him for a 42-yard touchdown. He's actually is willing to take shots down the field. He hasn't been hitting many of them lately. But uh, to me, you know, it's just he's a great story, but he looks like someone who is destined to be a pretty good backup and not someone who's probably a starting level talent in the, the 2019 NFL world. All right, let's
1: move on to the other game you had. It was much more, actually, I was going to say it's much more exciting, Pat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Cowboys play to a 17 to nine victory for the Eagles. But I mean, and I know that this basically puts the Eagles in the playoffs that they can win next week, but you could not script a more boring Like taking offense back years that both of these teams put out (laughs) in the field. It was bad football. But in the end, like this is kind of where the Eagles live this season in wins and losses. And it's Carson Wentz in like certain moments doing just enough and putting the team on his back and carrying them to disgusting victories. And he did that today. (laughs) 31 of 4319 and a touchdown.
5: Yeah, if you were to describe, if I was gonna choose one word to describe this game. I might go a standstill, uh, just very little going on in this game. But I mean, if, for, first off, too, I wouldn't count the Eagles' chickens before they hatch. They do. I, I would not, with their state on offense right now, their injury state. I would not consider it a guarantee they will beat the Giants on the road. But I mean, Carson Wentz, he just he deserves props. I mean, Nelson Aguilar not playing. Alshon Jeffrey out for the season. Zach Ertz banged up really early in this game with a rib injury. Missed most of the first half. Uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside re-injured his foot. Dallas Goddard uh, came down with something late. Wasn't announced with an injury, but was clearly shaken up. And with that ridiculous state of of affairs on offense, he completed 31 of 40 passes. He completed 77% of his passes throwing to essentially nobodies. And you know, obviously these aren't you know, big down the field plays. These are a lot of these were high percentage dialed up passes, but he has played pretty, really exemplary football, especially since the first half of that first giants game where he looked like a train wreck. And he, what he has done with Greg Ward, you know, as his number one receiver, really he, he does, he, he deserves the props and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be tough in week 17. I mean, the giants talk about like a, The the Giants aren't really into playing slobber knockers. They're they're playing like these wide open, speaking of Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrickian affairs with Daniel Jones. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to be impressed with what Carson Wentz has done with essentially the C team on offense.
1: And the Giants could pose a few problems, especially passing the football. We know Daniel Jones threw five touchdown passes today and the corners of the Eagles still getting banged up and still getting injured. Multiple of them left in this game. Quickly want to call out Miles Sanders, 79 rushing yards and a score. 77 yards in the air. He is the most explosive element of his offense, and they're doing their best to get him involved as much as possible. 25 touches today. Uh, Pat, again, unlikely, but the Cowboys still have a chance of getting the playoffs. Again, it depends on an Eagles loss. I mean, all of us sat here and wanted the Cowboys to be in the playoffs over the Eagles just because like their potential ceiling is at least higher. I think that's fair to say. But oh my gosh, in like the (laughs) moment when you need to play well and have a game plan come together, it was awful. Six points in the first half, three points in the second half. Jason Garrett decided not to go for a fourth and one on one drive. Then the next drive goes for it on fourth and nine and converts. (laughs) The dude just has zero clue. And I'm no professional coach. I don't get paid to do it. But I don't know how you don't do more with a talent on this team, and maybe I'm overrating the talent. It was just a wild performance today that makes no sense.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to you know watch these games. and wonder if we are overrating the Cowboys' talent, but I don't think we are. I mean, Amari Cooper is a special player. Ezekiel Elliott, you know, we know the running backs are overpaid, but Ezekiel Elliott is a great running back. Michael Gallup, a second-year pro with a thousand-yard season, you know, we see lots of flashes from Dak Prescott and. Today, I don't know, you can, you can kind of make, it could kind of be an excuse-making performance for the Cowboys today, because Dak had the shoulder, he was not accurate, it was second or third lowest completion percentage of the year, which, you know, doesn't tell the whole story, obviously, but he was lacking zip down the field, had a 41-yard completion to Michael Gallup in the second quarter that probably should have been a 79-yard touchdown, but he just undershot him, and then in the fourth quarter, he had what probably should have been a 75-yard touchdown to Tavon Austin. And did the same thing. He didn't look healthy. Amari Cooper kept checking in and out of the game in the second half. He wasn't on the field for a lot of the biggest plays. You know, he has been banged up a lot in the second half of the season. He certainly seemed to be playing through something today. Uh, Zeke hit his head really hard on the turf and took himself out of the game. For uh, he was out. Uh, he was out of the game when Tony Pollard lost his fumble because Zeke took himself out of the game. He was never announced for the concussion evaluation though. So they had a lot of strange injury issues today, but. Yeah, it's you can't view this Cowboy season as other thing, other anything other than a momentous failure. Because I don't think we're overrating this talent, and you know the the rest of the division just in tatters this year. And the Cowboys not winning the division this year is just frankly inexcusable.
1: Whereas we thought the Eagles would screen the Cowboys to death with their linebackers, which they absolutely did. Uh, I mean, Sean Lee looked like me running on an NFL football field. Um, <laughs> we thought the Cowboys could throw vertically on the Eagles corners and they had the opportunities to do that. Not saying to Amari Cooper, because it was this weird, like we don't know if he's hurt or just on the sideline or pulled out. I mean, Tavon Austin had an opportunity and Dak Prescott just overthrew him on a long touchdown pass. Michael Gallup looked great, but it just wasn't enough. Just 11 targets, five receptions, 98 yards. I mean, so many changes are happening on the Cowboys this offseason. Again, a DAC contract or at least a franchise tag, and I don't know if you re-sign Amari Cooper, so on and so forth. I mean, it's just a weird and wild offseason ahead for Dallas. I've
5: been wondering what the Amari Cooper situation, too, if he'll be allowed to walk. Uh, Again, the Eagles have their injury alibis, too, but I think with the the Cowboys, if they had been at full strength, they would have won this game. But, you know, the Eagles uh, could come back and make the exact same argument.
1: Once again, it is time to tell you about our friends over at Hawthorne. Look, I have zero clue about cologne. None. I always thought it was this thing that when you wore it and you walked in the room, like everyone from across the hallway, from across the office could just like tell you were trying too hard. Hawthorne makes it super easy to purchase cologne. If you thought the same way that I did, you need to go and check out Hawthorne. All that you do is take this two-minute questionnaire. They ask you about certain scents that you like, what you're hoping to use it for, and they pick it out for you completely. And it's not this overwhelming, overpowering stench. It's just like, you know, you smell a little bit better walking into a room. They give you a work cologne. They give you a play cologne. And it doesn't just stop there. I mean, They have questionnaires for deodorant, conditioner, body wash, shampoo, everything of the sort. If you are struggling to find a gift for, I don't know, your cousin, your brother, someone you kind of like, they're in your family, but you don't see them that often, Hawthorne is the right place to go. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co, that's Hawthorne with an E, and use our promo code ROTO, R-O-T-O, to get 10% off your first purchase. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co. And use my code ROTO to get 10% off your purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. I'm serious. Check them out. Super easy. Easy gift. And spoil yourself a little bit. The Baltimore Ravens continue on their winning ways, beating the Cleveland Browns 31-15. Ian Harditz had this one for us. Ian, I see Lamar Jackson, 20 of 31, 238, three touchdowns in the air. Another 103 yards on the ground. But it wasn't that simple early on. It kind of took a while for this Ravens offense to get going.
2: Yeah, it wasn't all that smooth early, but then you know you just kind of looked at the scoreboard in the fourth quarter, and yep, Ravens are over thirty points again. I mean, it reminded me of like one of these James Harden like forty plus point performances, where it's not even you just we're just kind of getting used to it at this point, which is just wild. I mean, Lamar Jackson was like a quiet hundred three yards rushing, uh, but I mean the Browns just couldn't really. Handle them after that kind of hot start, like you said. And, you know, credit to Lamar, though. Uh, Tony Romo was talking about all broadcasts. Just, he was winning as a passer just from the middle of the pocket, you know, making tough throws under pressure, mostly to Mark Andrews. And then, you know, when you throw in just that no one can really contain him around the edge, it's like, I, I don't know how you stop this offense.
1: Yeah, I think it, the Browns were up like 6 nothing until the final two or three minutes of the first half. And then the Ravens just score 14 points out of nowhere. Like in two quick drives, boom, <laughs> Freddie Kitchens was was done um, with this football team, basically. And I think that first touchdown throw to Mark Andrews was a nice deep throw that there were two um, unmarked pass rushers bearing down on Lamar Jackson. And rather than, you know, moving or dropping his eyes or whatever, he stood tall in the pocket and just rifled it down the seam. And Mark Andrews had that touchdown. It's, it's really amazing what Lamar has turned into, what he's doing in the pocket. And then so often you see him just create plays out of absolutely nothing. And he did that in this game, even with Mark Ingram going down, which I know you you want to talk about. Gus Edwards stepped in for 12 carries, 66 yards. Um, But this Ravens team overall, like it really was the Lamar Jackson show. Mark Andrews getting two touchdowns and 93 yards. But outside of that, I'm not going to say it was worrisome, but it wasn't as clean of a performance as we've seen.
2: Yeah, I kind of got that same impression. I mean, look, Mark Andrews is... Tough for anyone to stop. At the same time, like you know, he's going to be the the dude in the playoffs that either the Chiefs or the Patriots, whoever this team has to get through. Like they're going to try to take him away and force Lamar to go elsewhere. And real early in the season, it seemed like that guy would definitely be uh, Hollywood Brown. And you know, he still had the two a touchdown against the Jets a few weeks ago. I mean, he hasn't been completely quiet. But with that said, I mean, he definitely kind of hasn't been that uh, you know Deshaun Jackson clone. That I'm not saying he can't be in the future, but he just isn't being right now. So if you can take away Mark Andrews in this offense, it's kind of it's going to be tough. To know like where mm. to expect the production to come from. Mark Ingram's picked it up. You know, I know Miles Boykin has flash in his small, you know, spurts out there. Justice Hill did some good things today, but it would be nice to see them have a more defined kind of number two weapon after Andrews in the offense right now. But the good news with Mark Ingram is it's already diagnosed with uh, just a calf strain. I mean, I, I don't want to downplay it. I'm sure it's very painful, but you know, with uh, week 17 largely being meaningless, get that first round by, he should have more than enough time uh, to get back and healthy for the playoff run. If for some reason he isn't, yeah, it's gonna be Gus. Edwards in that kind of early down grinder role and then just pretty much all of Mark Ingram's pass down work will go to Justice Hill
1: and it certainly helps when you have a quarterback who can just dominate outside of structure so even when you have everything blocked up match up perfectly down the field which the Browns did to their credit a number of times Lamar just buys a little extra time or even lofts it up for his receiver to. a better position and allows him to go up and get it like you
2: yeah i was gonna say too i heard a uh, uh, you know our own coworker chris sims make a real good point about lamar and just how the things he can do as a rusher forces the defense to play just such simpler coverages because they gotta you know worry about their rushing lane so much more when you have someone like him in the backfield so you know it's just one of those things that really helps and opens up the entire offense
1: brown side um baker mayfield and this offense kind of looked decent early on. Uh, 192 yards from Baker, two touchdowns, and a pick. But man, they got nothing going. Like, after that, again, first six points, they could do absolutely nothing. Nick Chubb like halted whatever momentum he had with just 15 carries of for 45 yards. Odell Beckham had chances, but, you know, a, a tip away that could have been a deep bomb was short. Jarvis Langer was, again, the leading receiver with seven receptions, 74 yards. What'd you make of the Browns offense as we almost conclude the season?
2: I mean, Chubb and Kareem Hunt had 22 uh, combined touches for only 78 total scoreless yards. So it was just when when no one on this offense was really creating big plays at all. I mean, we it's just kind of been the case all season. There's talent everywhere, but whether it's a penalty or Baker takes, you know, uh, turns the ball over. Or if they just can't consistently get explosive plays, they struggle to move the ball downfield. And that was just with Baker again. I mean, 5.8 yards per attempt. Uh, you, you know, sm- smarter people than myself, I've kind of talked about QB mechanics. I've noted that you know Baker's just really been struggling to sit in the pocket, you know, and go from read to read, and not try to run out of it. And you know, when you're Lamar Jackson, it's fine when you escape the pocket because you're still causing uh, tons of problems. But we obviously haven't seen that with Baker all season. I, I think you know I, I don't want to give up on him or this kind of pairing of talent until we. see them with a better offensive line because I think that's just kind of the root of all these problems but with that said I mean there's nothing else you can call Baker's second season other than just extremely disappointing
1: and then obviously Odell was a bit of a story in this game I'm not you know giving him grief for it but he had like this stupid taunting call along the sideline that like I just think not being targeted by officials so much but like we see stuff like that all the time and he got a 15-yard penalty called against him and then you know he he Gets in a discussion with Freddie Kitchens on the sideline when you know Freddie's just lost it completely and he can't call plays within inside the ten yard line anymore, and Odell's just frustrated. And like obviously the camera zooms in in those moments, and it's up to you to decide like what you believe in those moments of. You know who's at fault or who's not, blah blah blah. But it's just an awful situation all around for this Browns team.
2: It was unfortunate because you know OBJ did find the end zone again. Nice little three yard fade. He could have had a really big day if uh, Baker looked for him deep and Marcus Peters was just able to get a hand in at the last second. But you know it, none of that's going to matter because it's just about kind of the sideline antics that right. again you know weren't the worst thing in the world. But you know here here we are just having kind of another meaningless sideline conversation about Odell Beckham Jr.
1: And one of the surprises of Sunday, the other game you had, the Cardinals go on the road to Seattle, win 27-13. to Again, this is one of the top players in the NFC. Seattle Seahawks dropped to 11-4. The Cardinals improved to 5-9-1. I mean, they break their losing streak. And it wasn't just Kyler Murray. I mean, Kyler Murray did start the game 11-18, 118 yards, and a score to go with 40 yards on the ground. And he comes up with, I believe, a hamstring injury. And yes, Brett Hundley is the one who carries, well, carries is strong, maybe um, (laughs) drags this team to victory, does just enough to like push the car from the back to get it over the finish line.
2: Yeah, I thought Brett Hundley was fine in relief. I mean, he, uh, you know, his, his passing line was pretty bad, only 49 yards, uh, completed four of nine passes. But with that said, he did have a real nice uh, pass down the sideline to Christian Kirk that probably would have been good for 25 to 30 yards in his foot. You know, just barely didn't come down and bounce. So he was a little bit better in his passing line, suggests, and then added 35 yards on the ground. I mean, the good thing about having Hundley as a backup, and it's kind of the same thing with the Ravens and RG3, if disaster does strike, they don't have to change their entire offense of game plan because they still at least have a somewhat mobile guy back there to kind of do the things that Kyler can do. Obviously, he's not Kyler Murray. I mean, I think the ceiling of this whole offense uh, definitely drops if we we do see Kyler out in week 17. But, you know, he's not the worst backup quarterback in the world. And uh, the big thing is, as long as Kingsbury can keep scheming up these rushing lanes for Kenyon Drake, they're going to be just fine. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, entering this game, the Cardinals were number one in the entire league and yards created before contact per rush i think some of that is just you have like the ravens are number two you know with how much lamar and kyler run, i think that kind of uh, inflates the stat a little bit but still i mean we, we watch the games and again and again you know cliff is doing uh, interesting things just try to get whether it be kyler drake whoever it is he gets them in the open field on these rushes and they've without a very good run blocking offensive line they have still had a very good rushing offense all season
1: no catches for christian kirk Larry Fitzgerald had four catches, 48 yards, and a score. Let's talk about Kenyon Drake for a moment because he has just been an incredible player since the Cardinals traded for him. And yes, they have a big contract with David Johnson. Yes, they have a talented running back in Chase Edmonds. But it would be difficult for Kenyon Drake not to be on this roster in 2020. 24 carries today, 166 yards, two touchdowns, and 18 more yards in the air. I mean, he and Derrick Henry, who are teammates at Alabama, have just both lit the NFL on fire this season. And Drake just seemingly looks like better and better each and every week.
2: Yeah, he was doing it all he had an 80 yard touchdown run where you know he was untouched made the right read put his foot in the ground and just outraced everyone but then a couple drives later you know he's putting a defender into the dirt with this ferocious stiff arm i mean he's definitely you know i think early in his career kind of like you know duke johnson some of these guys where they he was used as more of a scat back and kind of wasn't given that uh three down roll chance by adam Gase. but we always saw you know those flashes usually towards the end of the season where he would get that full-time role and he'd uh, do really big things with it and that's really what we've seen his entire tenure with the Cardinals uh the the receivers were disappointing and not just on the Cardinals side of the ball but on the Seahawks too I mean there are duds all over the place uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you saw that with uh, all of our you know Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf conversations
1: yeah let's hit on that what was up with the Seahawks today I'm reading this <laughs> Russell Wilson completed like half of his passes for 169 yards and a score Tyler Lockett had one catch for 12 yards um, no one got anything going. Jacob Hollister was a leading yards getter on the team with 64. It's not like this Cardinals defense is good at all. In fact, they're, they're bad. I know Chandler Jones is like maybe the most underrated pass rusher in the NFL. This Seahawks team is supposed to be one of the best in the NFL. Why couldn't they do anything at home against the
2: Cardinals? Didn't help that they lost, I mean, they are going to be without Chris Carson uh, to a hip injury, and now CJ Precise with a broken arm. Both never done for the season, both never out before halftime. So, you know, they couldn't run the ball like they normally wanted to, but this is kind of the same old song and dance we've seen in these games with the Seahawks, where when they can't run the ball and they fall behind early, Russ always brings them back, and that was just kind of the part we were missing, where the second half, you know, Russ in comeback mode, just kind of racking up yards, was never there, and... He, you know, Tyler Lockett only had one catch on eight targets. It wasn't like he was consistently breaking open. So I don't I don't think Russ was consistently missing a ton of open throws or anything. But just confusing game plan. I mean, Hollister had six targets. Travis Homer, their third string running back who came in, had eight targets. I mean, just so many targets going to these. Just kind of players that aren't going to give you the same explosive plays that lock and DK Metcalf can offer. And and the Metcalf only getting one target is just wild to me. I mean, look, we know it's a tough matchup. I think we saw on our Saturday show how uh, even though Patrick Peterson hasn't been uh, kind of his usual self this season, the guys that were beating him, Emmanuel Sanders, Michael Thomas were more of these better route runners. Uh, You know, he does have the size and speed to compete with someone that's more raw like Metcalf, but only one target. I mean, we still saw Metcalf, you know, against Jalen Rams, against James Bradbury, make big plays and moments, and he didn't even have a chance to do that today. So it's just disappointing to see this offense, like literally not get their best players involved week after week after week. The
1: Patriots beat the Bills in New England 24 to 17. As we know, that brings the Patriots to 12 and three and the Bills to 10 and five. Hayden Winks had this game and two others for us. Hayden, uh, look, heading into this game, We had some obvious reservations and concerns about this Patriots offense, and they did nothing but came into fruition in this game against this Bills defense. Obviously, Tom Brady, 26-33, 271 and a score. What was your kind of read and overall feeling on this Patriots team heading into the playoffs?
6: They just needed to piece this offense together. Um, Today, that meant uh, Sonny Michelle and Rex Burkhead getting going. Burkhead led the team. And receiving, uh, he had like almost like 10 yards per touch. Um, he was just a beast. And Sony Michelle had his best game of the year, 96 rushing yards. He didn't score a touchdown. Um, but that's what they kind of needed. Uh, Julian Edelman was in and out of the lineup, but another gutsy performance by him. The offense still doesn't look great, but this was uh, more encouraging than we've seen the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, it was an important fourth quarter for the Patriots. They scored 11 points. Then prior to that, obviously, the Bills were up. With 17 points. Um, Yeah, Rex Burkhead was kind of like the added little piece that the Patriots needed. He ran through some arm tackles, some mild contact to find his way into the end zone. He added another four receptions and 77 yards in the air. It's clear that Julian Edelman isn't healthy on six targets, five receptions, 72 yards, missed like a whole quarter, came back and was another spark. Sonny Michelle, 21 carries, 96 yards. I wish the Patriots offense just looked easier. At this point in the year, right, it doesn't, and that's very worrisome because you have Week 17. They're going to have a bye week, and we don't really know what we can hang our hat on with this Patriots team, obviously, other than the defense. But an offense, you just have to gut it out.
6: Yeah, they're just going to have to win close games in the playoffs if they're going to pull this thing together. Uh, one thing that's really clear to me is Tom Brady does not want to take a hit at all. So I think they really need Edelman to get fully healthy because he had, he needs to win these underneath routes. Otherwise, it's going to be Rex Burkhead and James White. And maybe if we get like Sanu healthy, um, they're going to have to make plays underneath.
1: Shifting on over the Bills, there was a point in this game when two explosive plays made all the difference for the Bills. And they were deep shots from Josh Allen. He was like two or three for 88 yards. One was a deep shot to John Brown, his only catch of the game, which was a 53-yard score. Um, And then another one was a Dawson Knox 33-yard reception as well. I believe he was ruled down at like the one-yard line or close to it. Um, look, those are the plays that we knew Josh Allen would have to make heading into this game because it was a difficult test for him with this Patriots defense. There were times he made them, and there are times that he just completely whiffed on throws that needed accuracy.
6: Yeah, he just, he's just a limited player. He has all the arm talent in the world, but he's not accurate with them. So, um, I mean, even today, this was this is kind of maybe even like worst case scenario for me where he hit two of these deep deep targets and they still he still only had 208 yards um he didn't get go crazy as a rusher at 43 rushing yards but didn't find the end zone and just he misses too many easy throws it's just hard to keep moving the chains um maybe their defense is good enough where they can they can win a game in the playoffs but uh he just he's just a limited passer right now
1: yeah like if all the pieces can align and Allen has one of those great games, then they can make some noise in the playoffs, but then it always gives you the opportunity for Josh Allen to maybe contribute to, like he did in this 50% completion percentage. Um, he did have two touchdowns, 208 yards. That's just like, that's the roller coaster you live with and you lose with. And I think the Bills are maybe not fine with that, but they understand that's who they are because defensively they're flying around the field as well. Cole Beasley, I need to shout out him real quick 12 targets, seven receptions, 108 yards really great day from Cole Beasley.
6: Yeah, that was probably one of the more underrated signings of the soft season. Cole Beasley has been really clutch. He's even even been scoring touchdowns in addition just to getting open underneath.
1: And 43 yards on the day for Josh Allen on the ground. All right. Next up, you had the nightcap. That's the San Francisco 49ers beating the Los Angeles Rams in a very, very close one. 34 to 31 that obviously knocks the Rams out of the playoffs. And the 49ers improved to 12 and three a weird wild game in this one i'll read jimmy garoppolo's stat line and then you tell me more about this 49ers offense okay garoppolo was 16 of 27 248 one touchdown and two interceptions also took two sacks a qbr of 25
6: yeah i mean i wouldn't even call it weird he was he was straight up bad for most of the game he uh he pulled it off at the end he hit jimmy Garoppolo or, or uh George Kittle scrambling out to the right for a touchdown and then made the biggest throw of the game. Um, he hit Emmanuel Sanders down the field to put the 49ers in, uh, into field goal range to win the game. But before that, it was just lots of balls um, being tipped in the air. He was just missing passes. Jalen Ramsey had a big night except for that last play. And, yeah, it's the concern with the 49ers. They could Their defense is good enough, um, not recently, but they, they've they shown an elite uh, prowess. And Jimmy G just needs to tighten this thing up if the 49ers are going to go deep into the playoffs.
1: Not to reveal the Slack chat here, Hayden, but you and I kind of aligned with our thoughts on Jimmy. And it's kind of what we've been saying all year long, where obviously the offense is coached extremely well. um, And it might come down to like three to four plays under duress outside of the plan that Jimmy has to make. And you've seen points in the second half of the season where Jimmy makes those points in the first half of the season where he didn't make those but now with this you know defense bending a little bit more than they did in again those first six to eight weeks it really is going to come down to Jimmy Garoppolo when we get against these best teams and then divisional and championship rounds of the 49ers can get there
6: yeah and the, the good thing that he has he has a ton of weapons Debo Samuel is really starting to come come into it he was um, they got him in as like a running back as well I mean he can do pretty much anything Um, Emmanuel Sanders has proven to be a a good, good pickup. And then obviously George Kittle. So, um, if he can just get the ball into his, into his playmaker's hands, it should be in okay shape.
1: Yeah. A few stat lines. Kittle had five receptions, 79 yards and a touchdown. Mostert 11 carries 53 yards and a score. And then DBO Samuel had seven total touches for 59 yards and a score of his own. Um, let's look at the Rams offense, Jared Goff final day, 27 of 46 323, two touchdowns and an interception. The first drive was awesome. There was another drive where he was just, you know, tossing passes and they were accurate and they were down the field and it was awesome. It was clear, absolutely clear, that Sean McVay didn't want Jared Goff to tape your typical three, five, seven-step drops straight behind his offensive line ask him to throw from the pocket because they moved him maybe more than I've seen of any quarterback this season off his spot. And it was working for quite a long time. Then there were another two times where Jared Goff should have been intercepted. I mean, this is just him under duress. And it's what we've seen all
6: year. Yeah, they got him doing play action bootlays rolling out to his right and left. And he's not a very athletic quarterback, but they just needed to get him in some, some timing routes and get these receivers to separate a little bit more. Um, Robert Woods had a huge game Tyler Higby four straight games with over 104 yards but at the end the 49ers kind of started uh, figuring it out and the play of the game probably was Goff's uh, pick six he just kind of stared down a pass into the flats that went for an easy pick six Um, but other than that they looked all right this was kind of one of those unexpected um, Rams offensive games where everything was kind of rolling together until the very end.
1: Todd Gurley did have two touchdowns on the ground, despite having zero juice left in his legs. It looks like a long run of eight yards. This game kind of came down to that final play or one of the final plays, didn't it? Where Jalen Ramsey was on the outside with Taylor Rapp, a rookie safety behind him. And they just allowed Emmanuel Sanders to get behind both and come down with this 46 yard catch to get in field goal range. Before I let you go on this game, we've got one more. Um, what's your view of the Rams heading into the offseason? season? Again, their season's over uh, I know Michael Silver came out on Sunday morning, said that you know they're going to evaluate Wade Phillips' defensive coordinator, which kind of surprised me because I think the defense has been quite good. Um, I mean, it's kind of impossible for a team to be top five all season long. Uh, and then he, Silver even mentioned that Todd Gurley might not be in this team in 2020. Contractually, I think he has to be on this team in 2020. I think they might eat like $20 million in dead money, so I'm not sure about that one. But this Rams team is a weird one where – I think there's an easy argument to make that their window to win is already up, with how many issues they have along this offensive line, with also their left tackle aging.
6: Yeah, I just don't think they have that many options to kind of fix this. They've put, they've allocated so much money um, to Gurley and Goff and the rest of these these players. They don't have that many draft picks either. So I'm not sure where they can go from here. I think you're you're correct in thinking that their Super Bowl window has closed um, for the t- for the time being. Um, yeah, I just don't really see an easy solution to all this. They just need Goff to get protected a little bit better. I'm not sure if there's an easy solution there, and then just hope that Gurley has a little little more juice than he did this year.
1: That was the Miami Dolphins at home, winning in overtime against the Cincinnati Bengals, 38 to 35. Take me through this end of game sequence because with like less than a minute to go, the Bengals score a touchdown, kick an onside kick, recover it, score another touchdown believe they have to get a two-point conversion as well and they go into overtime and like the waning moments of overtime the Dolphins kick a field goal to win it and this was the battle basically for the number one overall pick
6: yeah there's a lot a lot on the line here uh the Bengals needed to lose to guarantee that they would be uh the first overall pick which they got um so that's gonna be Joe Burrow most likely but it was 35 to 12 in the fourth quarter the Bengals yeah the Bengals (laughs) scored a touchdown then the Dolphins missed a kick then the Bengals scored a touchdown. Then they got an onside kick, and then uh, with zero seconds left, uh, throws a touchdown pass to Tyler Eifert, and then they needed to get the two point conversion to tie it up at 35-35. So all that happened in the span of like 11 minutes of gameplay. And then when they get to uh, the into overtime, I think both teams kind of realized that they neither team wanted to really win. They went punt, 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 punt before the Dolphins uh, marched downfield and kicked the game-winning field goal. It was, it was a crazy game. Devontae Parker went off. Mike Gusecki went off. Tyler Boyd went off. So um, those guys were winning fantasy championships this week.
1: Wow. We saw more Miles Gaskin in this game. He had 55 yards and a score on 16 carries. Any positives you want to take from either of these teams as they look to build, obviously, their rosters in the future? We know Devontae Parker got signed up to a long-term deal, which is great. He closed the season this game. He had 15 targets in this game, just five receptions. That's How did that happen?
6: Yeah, I mean, it just it just – uh, Fitzpatrick forcing things, throwing it up in the air. They, okay. their completion percentage, I think is like below 60% on the year. So this wasn't too surprising. Uh, big takeaways. The Dolphins have two guys that they can be confident in moving forward. Um, Devontae Parker and Mike Gisicki uh, as like offensive pieces. Um, they obviously need the, the young quarterback to, to go along with those and maybe a, a second receiver, but you have to be really confident in Parker and Gesicki just amazing athletes. And they're really coming in, into their own. Um, as for the Bengals, i'm not sure tyler boyd's pretty good um they have to figure out what they're going to do with aj green
1: back again with john daigle with the worst game of sunday indianapolis colts beat the carolina panthers at home 38 to 6 yes 38 to 6 believe the spread was like six and a half in this game Uh, a bit bigger than that daigle um i guess we should start with why don't we start with some special teams love okay naeem hines Took two punt returns for touchdowns today. Basically made everyone miss in the open field. This is a player who Frank Reich just really hasn't used on offense at all this year. And so his touches have been limited. But this was the Naeem Hines show today.
4: The first player in NFL history, actually, to record two punt returns for touchdowns over 70 yards in a single game. And quite frankly, that's where it ends for the Colts. They weren't needed to produce offense, and thus they did not produce offense. T.Y. Hilton led this team with 26 receiving yards, I believe it was. Uh, uh, Jacoby Brissett, his highlight reel play was basically a 24-yard run on third and five blitz that helped set up the next play, a 21-yard catch and throw up the middle to Moe Cox, which then led to Marlon Mack punching it in from one yard out. Marlon Mack, who himself went over 1,000 yards in the season with his performance today. But all in all, it was really just Naheem Hines – and the defense forcing three interceptions because Will Greer, which we'll talk about in a second was just outright awful. Yeah,
1: he was. Um, I quickly do want to mention that the chop a prop, which Ian Hart has put out there almost came true. Marlon Mack, like you said, 95 yards and a touchdown, a long run of 30 in this game. Jordan Wilkins also had a 38 yard run. Jacob Brissett had 24 yard run. That Panthers run defense gave up 218 rushing yards on the ground, which is absolutely atrocious. Brissett, like you mentioned, completed like about half his passes for 119 yards. Made some nice movement in the pocket, like to move out of the way of primary rushers, but it really wasn't needed because this was an absolute blowout. And it's like you mentioned the Panthers offensively could get nothing going. Like they w- went back to back three and outs to open the game. Um, then after that they would have some positive plays, and then something awful would happen. And Will Greer finished 27 of 44, 224 yards, and three interceptions. Are there any positives we can take from this? Because looking at the stat line, Five sacks, not really, um, and, and he did nothing to elevate anyone on this team.
4: Not really. The best thing he did was extend plays. He's very good at uh, rushing outside of the pocket. The whole thing is you have to be able to hit receivers once you're outside of the pocket, and he, he's pretty much struggled at doing that. Uh, he has a cannon, yeah. As we talked about on the show Saturday morning, he came out of the combine with the hardest velocity velocity of any quarterback in that class having said that what does it matter if you're just throwing rockets directly into the ground and what we more importantly what we saw in this game really over the tops of receivers missed uh jarius Wright wide open in the back corner of the end zone for a would-be touchdown in the first half and the times he did extend plays and wait patiently for his receivers to run themselves open and just break off whatever their initial route call was it was already when the Panthers were down three or four scores. So ultimately it didn't really matter. Uh, A bad debut for Will Greer as a whole.
1: Should mention that DJ Moore left early with a concussion. Uh, Christian McCaffrey kind of had a George Kittle-like stat line here where – you know, no one else had over three receptions outside of him. Greg Olson was the leading receiver outside of Christian McCaffrey, 33 yards. Meanwhile, McCaffrey had 15 catches on 15 targets for 119 yards. I believe that's a Panthers record for single receptions in a game. And he's just like less than 100 receiving yards off that 1,000, 1,000 mark uh, for the season.
4: Yeah, with that performance, McCaffrey moved ahead of Kelvin Benjamin for sixth all time and Panthers <laughs> receiving yards. <laughs> Only is, and he's already 6th in franchise history in receiving yards. He is now the first back in NFL history to have over 100 receptions in back-to-back seasons. And as you stated, less than 100 yards, 67 receiving yards to be exact, to be only the third player ever with 1,000-1,000. 1, 1, and I would imagine, as you saw with 15 catches, 15 of 15 on 15 targets, right? Uh, 15 catches in this game. I would imagine they go into week 17 just as they did last year, feeding him to get him records, get him over the 67 yard hump, and then return him to the bench.
1: Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash, people could get hurt or killed. But let's take a moment to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Many people are unaware that driving while high can be just as dangerous. In 2015, 42% of drivers killed in crashes tested positive for drugs. Not so harmless after all, is it? And get this, from 2007 to 2015, marijuana use among drivers killed in crashes doubled. The truth is, driving while high is deadly. So stop kidding yourself. If you're impaired from alcohol or drugs, don't get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Drive sober or get pulled over. This message has been brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Maybe Sunday's wildest game featured the New York Giants going on the road against the Washington Redskins and winning 41-35 in overtime. Anthony Costa had this one for us. Anthony, all I want to say... Danny Dimes, five touchdown passes. How'd it happen?
7: First game back for Jones. Missed two weeks with a high ankle. Showed no ill effects. Looked fully healthy. This was his best game. Uh, the touchdowns and yards were season high. Obviously, the Jets game, Detroit, we've seen Jones go off when he gets these plus matchups. But yeah, an OT win. Jones looked real good. A lot of clutch throws. The touchdown to Sterling Shepard. He pumped the screen. Hit Shepard over the top, um, that play for me, that's something that Jones does that, like, Kyler Murray can't do right now. Ooh. And, um, I mean, I'm just not seeing it from anyone in this class right now that's doing what Jones is doing. When you look at it, the body of work is just starting to add up. The ratios are good. Jones obviously has the measurables. For me, there's a lot to like with him going into the offseason.
1: Nice. Also had 352 yards along with those five touchdowns. Uh, We'd mentioned quite often that Saquon Barkley didn't quite look like Saquon Barkley since his high ankle sprain. Today he did, and they included a 67-yard touchdown run and a 51-yard touchdown reception. uh, 22 carries for 189 yards on the ground and another 90 yards in the air. I'm assuming he looked back to full health.
7: Yeah, and this was kind of an overdue breakout for Barkley. Obviously had the big game last week, but this was really his first blow-up. We really hadn't seen this from Barkley since the injury. But yeah, this looked like the Barkley from last year. 26 touches, 280 total yards. Both his touchdowns were chunk plays. the 67-yard rushing touchdown, and then he was left wide open, downfield on the receiving one. The Redskins, obviously, very favorable matchups, but this was good to see. Everything is still there with Barkley. I was never off him. But I also think a lot of his rookie success was volume based. Like Eli was just so bad and constantly checking down. But yeah, massive game from Barkley this week. Obviously trending up.
1: Lost to JJ Zacharyson because of Saquon Barkley, but it's okay. These things happen. Uh, one more final note on the Giants uh, Daniel Jones spread it around quite a bit. I mean, Golden Tate had 96 yards, the team's leading receiver but then touchdown pass went to Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, Cody Lattimore, and then two to Caden Smith. On Washington's side, Dwayne Haskins started this game, went 12 of 15, 133 yards and two scores, then left with an injury. What was the injury? And it certainly seemed bad as he, I think, barely could get off the field.
7: Ankle injury for Haskins, yeah, played great before that. Really, the last two weeks, he's looked better. But, again, he's doing it against bad defenses and there's still a lot of stuff I don't like about him. Like a lot of the yards are coming on broken plays and one read throws. But yeah, the injury looked bad, but it could have been worse. Uh, you know, he, he lobbied to go back in the game, but Snyder shut it down. So um not sure if he'll be back next week, but some encouraging sign for Haskins the last two weeks.
1: Meanwhile, Case Keaton led this team back in the fourth quarter a touchdown pass of his own to go with 158 yards. Um, Terry McLaurin had 86 yards, but again, this team spread around two. Steven Sims Jr., 64 yards and two touchdowns receptions. Is this a player that maybe we should keep on our radar heading into 2020? It certainly seems like a player who has some explosive elements to his game.
7: Okay. Okay, yeah. Two touchdowns this week for Sims, ran a really clean double move on one of his touchdowns. Led the Redskins in targets. He's done that the last two weeks. There's talent with Sims, but he's also had good matchups. Vonti Maddox last week, Sam Beal, and Corey Ballantine this week. So I don't see a ton of value there. He's only a 4-5 guy. Definitely the clear number two behind McLaurin, at least for another week. But I'd expect the Redskins to be very aggro, upgrading Haskins' supporting cast this offseason.
1: The Saints on the road beat the Tennessee Titans, 38-28, 38-28, to improving to 12-3 and on the season. Titans still have a chance at the playoffs. Just have to beat the Texans next week. Nick Minzio had this game for us. Nick, the scoreboard reads that it was a comfortable win for the Saints, but that wasn't the case at all. The Saints had to score 35 points in the final 32 minutes of this game when they were down 14-3 to at one point. How did they do it?
0: Yeah, the Titans actually looked like they were going to Maybe roll the Saints after jumping onto to a fourteen nothing early quick lead. Uh, Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown with big plays in the passing game. Johnny Smith long touchdown. And then I guess the the Saints outdoor uh, offense woke up a little bit and Drew Brees was hitting Jared Cook for a couple of touchdowns. Michael Thomas doing what he does, and then Alvin Kamara breaking his touchdown drought finally after not scoring since week three scored twice in this one so. All the all the major players in the Saints offense uh, popped off in this one
1: yeah let's first talk about that early resurgence from the Titans AJ Brown had a 49 yard run for a touchdown which just showcased his yards after carry capabilities yards after contact capabilities since he didn't <laughs> catch the ball um we know that um, we know that Derek Henry was not going to make this game kind of a late scratch for us fantasy players but Deion Lewis stepped in 15 carries. 68 yards, what was the difference you saw in Derrick Henry typically in the lineup versus Deion Lewis in there today?
0: Deion Lewis, I think his, his playmaking ability really is just pretty much gone at 29 years old. I mean, he, he just looks like a completely different player than Derrick Henry. Obviously, Henry just a, a a total chore to take down uh, Lewis, complete opposite. Um, they had no running game, really. I mean, hmm. Lewis averaged good, aver, averaged good yards per carry number, but he just wasn't in place in, in the running game to me. But yeah, A.J. Brown had the long uh, 49-yard touchdown run. Um, Johnny Smith had the 41-yard after the catch, uh, touchdown catch. And um, I mean, watching these guys with the ball in their hands in the open field is just super fun to watch. I mean, Animals in the open field, hard to take down. um, Big guys. um, These these two guys are the are the are the fun parts of the Titans' offense when Derrick Henry's not out there.
1: And even Tajay Sharp was making plays, had two touchdowns of his own. I really do hope the Titans make the playoffs. It'll be difficult to get there, but they're more fun than say like the Raiders or the Steelers. All right, Saints. We haven't talked about them at all. Um, Drew Brees. Yes, it's been well documented his play outdoors. Well, today. 279 yards and three touchdowns. Two of those touchdowns went to Jared Cook, which were just beautiful uh, hauls in. They were just beautiful catches by Cook that, you know, a lot of people maybe in previous years wouldn't be making on this Saints team maybe other than like Jimmy Graham back in the day, adding 84 yards to his total as well. Jared Cook's really taking this offense to the next level outside of Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas.
0: Yeah. Uh, his, his seventh and eighth touchdowns of the season in this one. Um, he has a new career high in touchdowns. So after catching six in the previous two years, um, he's really taken off in the second half of the season. He's been, I mean, he was a major disappointment first half of the year, but I mean, he's scoring every week pretty much now. He has a couple of multi-touchdown games. Um, Avoided that concussion a couple of weeks ago and was able to play the next game. So he's really playing well right now. He's he's fun to watch it.
1: And Alvin Kamara added two touchdowns, I think his first since week three of the season. But we have to close out this yep. game with Michael Thomas. 17 targets, 12 receptions, 136 yards and a score. Now up to 145 catches on the season, which is a NFL high for a single season. There were moments in this game, Nick where everyone watching knew where the ball was going and it was going to Michael Thomas <laughs> yet. He was still creating like two or three yards of separation against any Titans defender. It was wild to see. And it seems like we see that each and every week for Michael Thomas.
0: Oh uh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking at his box scores now, 10 catches over hundred yards every week. Um, he has over a hundred yards in nine of his last 11 games, eight touchdowns in that span. Um, it's just routine for him now. I mean, One of the best route runners in the NFL, maybe the best route runner. I mean, creates so much separation, like you're saying. Um, Like you said, in that fourth quarter, when they were trying to get on the record, they were throwing the ball every play, and he was still making the catches. I mean, they knew where the ball was going, and Thomas was still getting it done. I mean, great game from him. It's just customary at this point.
1: Let's go to the other game you had. That was the Oakland Raiders against the L.A. Chargers. Raiders go on the road, win this. Not really on the road. Apparently, it was like ninety-five percent Raiders fans. Uh, (laughs) Twenty-four to seventeen. Derek Carr threw for two hundred ninety-one yards and a score. Yards per attempt of nine point seven. We know he didn't have Josh Jacobs in this one, and maybe the star that no one saw coming. Hunter Renfro logged a fifty-six-yard touchdown catch on nine targets, seven receptions, one hundred and seven yards in that score.
0: Hunter Renfro led all the Raiders in every receiving category catches yards scored the lone touchdown led him in targets as well really sucked the life out of Darren Waller game as well he only saw four targets um both those guys run their routes in the same areas of the field so Waller owners playing in the finals were definitely pretty disappointed with his four catches for 37 scoreless yards line but we knew Renfro is is starting to become one of Derek Carr's go-to guys. Um, the 56 yards touchdown was done all by Renfro. I mean, it was some pretty shoddy tackling attempts by the Chargers after the short catch, but ran right down the seam and right in the end zone. It was Carr's only touchdown pass of the day. More than enough to beat the beat the hapless Chargers here.
1: The Chargers have some nice like individual pieces on defense, right? Like Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Derwin mm-hmm. James. Derek Carr only had four Incompletions today. I mean, he, I know he's not throwing down the field consistently.
0: I mean, the Chargers made him look like Drew Brees today. I mean, ah, got it. That's, that's how, He was like a pass-completing machine. Like you said, only four incompletions. Only threw ten passes after the after the half. Uh, they ran the ball down the Chargers' throats so they couldn't stop him in the second half. Um, killed the clock. I think they had like a nine-minute drive to open the third quarter, and after uh, DeAndre Washington, Washington capped that drive with a touchdown run. Um, but, yeah, Derek Carr looked – he's looked good this season. I mean, he's have, definitely having a bounce back here, but not throwing for a lot of yards, not throwing for a lot of touchdowns, but it, it's, it's good enough to, if you had better pieces around him. I mean, they would obviously need to build around Carr if this is ever going to work with him. But I mean, he's, he's played fine this season.
1: I know you mentioned this on Twitter, but Derek Carr has zero 300 yard passing games this season. And it, you know, it's not a surprise that John Gruden might want to look elsewhere this offseason season, just for a, a player with a much higher ceiling at the position. Um, you mentioned DeAndre Washington, 85 yards, just want to add that to the touchdown run. Chargers. Uh what is what is this team? You know, like Phillip Rivers, 279 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Melvin Gordon had two one yard touchdown runs. But it's just like a vanilla team that yeah. you wonder how many pieces they can take with them moving forward that are really that much of a difference maker. Offensively, I mean, I think Hunter Henry's a good player. I think Keen Allen's a good player. Obviously, both running backs are free agents. They've tried to do some things with Tyrod Taylor just to work him in, and none of it's ever working. I, this team makes no sense, and they should, if they were an actual NFL franchise, look to make some drastic changes this off season.
0: Yeah, Melvin Gordon's got to go, I think, in free agency. Philip Rivers has to be replaced. I mean, we can't watch this guy anymore. I mean, his arm's cooked. I mean, it's been cooked for years, but it's just ultimately cooked now. It's just it's about to fall off i mean this guy can't throw anymore um that the the receivers Keenan Allen, and mike williams i mean they just look like they're uninterested in playing right now with rivers it, it looks like on the field to me i mean Keenan Allen could have could have had a better game but he slipped and fell at the one yard line i um, setting up one of melvin gordon's one two one yard touchdown runs um that was the entire offense for the chargers they couldn't move the ball on the ground they couldn't really move it in the air either um his offense is just broken, man. I mean, I'm definitely ready to uh, not have to watch Philip Rivers anymore this season.
1: The New York Jets tried to do us all a favor and keep the Pittsburgh Steelers out of the playoffs, uh, beating the Steelers at home, sixteen to ten. I really shouldn't speak for everyone, Jesse, but I kind of, I'm, I'm very invested in this. I don't want to see the Steelers in January. Um, talk to us about this game. It doesn't seem like anything across the board at all, offensive wise, for the Jets stood out at all outside of maybe. One Sam Darnold touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson.
3: Yeah, and we knew that was going to be the case going in. This game had the lowest, it was tied with Patriots' bills for the lowest Vegas uh, over-under at 37. And it actually went under, yeah, just not a lot of scoring. That that touchdown you mentioned by Robbie Anderson, which was an awesome catch, which he made uh, with two defenders on him, including the Steelers' best uh, DB, Joe Hayden. That was the only touchdown the Jets scored all game. And, uh, yeah, just not a lot of offense. The story for the Steelers was we knew going in that Devlin Hodges was going to be on a short leash. He threw four interceptions and in the loss to Buffalo last week. And Tom Pellicero of NFL Network reported this morning that Mason Rudolph, the backup, had been was very involved in, extensively in game planning and mm. basically prepared to come in should – Hodges, you know, uh, th- throw some interceptions, and that's exactly what happened. He was intercepted on two of the first three drives. Those were actually his only incompletions at the time, but that was enough for Mike Tomlin to make the switch to Mason Rudolph, who actually looked, you know, competent. He went 14 of 20 and threw a touchdown at the end of the first half to Deontay Johnson. And But he didn't last long either because he ended up injuring his shoulder on a hit late in the third quarter, non-throwing shoulder, but it was enough to come out of the game. And, you know, Duck Hodges had to come off the bench and try to lead a comeback in the fourth quarter that obviously wound up unsuccessful.
1: Yeah, the Steelers face the Baltimore Ravens in Week 17. Would not be surprised at all if that's the Robert Griffin-led Baltimore Ravens against the Steelers. Um, I do want to mention Le'Veon Bell saw 25 carries in his return to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Other than that, I mean, there really is no offense across the board, and this is the year 2019. Um, Jesse, can we just move on to a different game? Yeah, sure, if you want. (laughs) Okay, let's go to the other one. Denver Broncos, I mean, it's not much better. Just a rough Sunday for Jesse Pantusco. Denver Broncos 27-17 win over the Lions at home. Uh, Drew Locke has had some moments this year. But this certainly seemed like it was Drew Locke completing 25 of 33 for 192 and a score, but mainly against this awful Lions defense, the Lindsay racking up 109 yards rushing on the ground with a touchdown.
3: Yeah, you hit on the two big offensive pieces for the, for the Broncos in this game. Uh, Lindsay had one of his best games of the year. This was his first 100-yard rushing performance since week five, I believe, against the Chargers. And it moved him within 42 yards of what would be his second straight 1,000-yard rushing season, which is pretty remarkable for an undersized guy who went undrafted out of Colorado. He's put together a really nice career for himself. And, yeah, this was a good spot for Drew Locke at home against you know one of the league's worst secondaries outside of Darius Slay, who actually did a pretty good job covering Cortland Sutton today. But Detroit came in having allowed the second-most passing yards per game. And it wasn't a huge game statistically for Locke, but he definitely took care of business. They didn't finish a lot of drives, but at one point after getting off to sort of a slow start, Locke led five scoring drives in a row and was really sort of hitting his stride you know, between the second and third quarters.
1: What else do I want to talk about? Well, Karen Johnson returned. That's probably one thing to talk about with this one because for some reason... Matt Patricia and company believe that Kerryon Johnson, who had been an IR for quite some time, decides, "Yeah, it's good to play him in Week 16 of NFL season when our season is 3-11 and uh, one." It's it's done, and Kerryon Johnson, I believe, exited this game early.
3: Uh, well, Johnson, there there was like a brief injury scare, but he did he did come back in. I, I wasn't used a lot in the fourth quarter because they were they were losing and they had to, to sort of come from behind. I wouldn't say that he's he suffered a real setback, though. But, you know, he didn't see extensive playing time. And that was sort of what we, you know, expected coming in because Matt Patricia said leading up to this game that they were going to be smart with, quote-unquote, smart with carry-on's usage. And I think smart with his usage probably would be not exposing him to this meaningless Week 16 and, and probably Week 17 game, um, as, as you alluded to earlier. I, th- I think this is probably a case of, you know, carry-on hadn't played in eight weeks and felt like he you know really wanted to help the team and, and go out there and, and get some reps late in the season because you know last year he he had a, a similar deal where he, he got injured and, and missed a lot of time so we have not really seen a lot of carry on Johnson in his two years since you know being drafted in the second round out of Auburn but uh, yeah he, he didn't get the start Bo Scarborough who was actually coming off an injury of his own he missed last week's game with a rib injury he got the start. And they saw roughly about the same amount of snaps, but it was Carry On who had a slight edge in touches, eleven to eight. didn't Didn't do anything, you know, out of the ordinary or, or you know, look that special. I think his long run went for only eight yards. Um, but yeah, I in a in a lost season where you know the Lions have lost eight in a row now, seven of those with backup quarterbacks, with Matthew Stafford being lost to his his season-ending back injury. There's just really not much incentive to win or risk a valuable player like Carryon Johnson, um, and but I don't know I, for whatever reason Matt Patricia th- thought it was a good idea to uh, give give him a whirl against Denver this week.
1: Uh, let's close with this: we know the Lions like aren't really the Lions because you know Matthew Stafford has missed a bulk of the season.
3: No Marvin Jones, yeah, no,
1: right. Um, The Steelers aren't really the Steelers. And by the way, they can easily make the playoffs if they win next week, most likely against Robert Griffin III and the Ravens, and then the Titans lose to the Texans. Who they just
3: lost to two weeks ago. Right,
1: then the Steelers are in. Um, But Pittsburgh, there's a lot of things to – I'm kind of combining your games here. There's a lot of things to take from the Steelers' defense. Like they've been one of the better units across the NFL basically all season long. But with these two teams, the Broncos and the Jets – They have some wide receiver talent. They obviously have some quarterback talent. What are you taking from each team since this is our last recap pod into the 2020 season? Because obviously the jets are going to stand by Sam Darnold. Do you think drew Locke has shown enough to be the quarterback of the Broncos for 2020?
3: I think so. Probably, uh, you know, they've won three out of four games since he he took over the starting job from Brandon Allen, who was filling in for Joe Flacco. Um, it was always thought to be sort of a one-year stopgap I think this is the last year of his contract anyway so they can get out from that pretty easily but yeah uh, we we all sort of knew the the book on, on Locke coming out of Missouri we knew he had a had a really strong arm but it was sort of frustrating just the, the tape that I watch how inconsistent he was on on sort of you know the layups the short touch passes um, and that, that's something that obviously he's going to need to build on. And it, you know this this rookie season sort of got away from him. He didn't look very good in the preseason and suffered a thumb injury that kept him out for you know basically the first three months. But I've liked what I've seen so far. And you, you did mention they have some receiving talent in, in Cortland Sutton, who's put together you know yards a thousand yards season even with all of the you know the the quarterback musical chairs that we've seen. And I I would argue that Denver's probably in a better position. Um, receiver-wise, because Robbie Anderson, who's thought of as the Jets guy, is, is a free agent after this year, and so there's no no lock that he's coming back. And the Jets have a lot to sort out with with Le'Veon Bell, who has really probably really been a dis, an expensive disappointment for them. That could be a tough contract to get out of. It doesn't really seem like Adam Gase particularly likes him or ever wanted him in the first place. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's tough because. John Elway's track record with quarterbacks has has not been great outside of signing Peyton Manning after he, he got let go by Indianapolis when they drafted Andrew Luck. But I think Luck has shown more promise than some of the players who have gone before him, the, the Paxton Lynches and Chad Kellys of the world.
1: So that closes the book on the 2019 Game by Game Review podcasts for your Monday mornings. I hope you enjoyed them. Again, thanks for sticking with us. Don't worry, we will still have review episodes during the playoffs. Those will just be on Mondays or Tuesdays, like normal episodes, not in time for your Monday morning commutes. We'll also do preview episodes during the playoffs as well. Again, if you stuck with us all year long, just take a moment, leave us a five-star rating, a review helps as well, and we will talk to you soon. Happy holidays, everyone. Go and enjoy it with your family.